somebody told me you got a podcast that looks like the podcast that I have in February, your podcast. <laughs> the February of podcast. What a February it was. <laughs> That's, I mean, I'm sure we could we could classify one of our Februarys as the February of podcast. The February of podcast. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> All of them from here on out until we die. That's a great point. Which is hopefully not when one of the people we did today dies. Yeah. It would be a real awkward year. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, what's going on, everybody? Welcome on into the podcast, Totem Talks, Season 4, Episode 17. It is 17. That's what I said, 17, Nick. (laughs) Hold on, give me a second. I'm going to edit this in later. 17. And I'll edit that in later, and they'll never know. And I'll sound like such an idiot. Leave the part <laughs> where I say, no, it's 17. You're like, what do you I mean will. I said 17? Oh, man. How you doing, Nick? Oh, it's been a long couple of weeks. I hear that. I hear that. But you know, that. there is one light in my life still, and it is Totem Talks. And it is listening to these records and uh, putting on this podcast Ooh, for gonna, all the, the lovely I'm going to have to have a real there. awkward conversation with Jackie later <laughs> about, about how you That's... qualify the lights in your life. <laughs> oh, I didn't mean nothing by it. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, before we get into the uh, the meat and potatoes of the episode here, once again, want to thank you all for tuning in. Want to thank you for your continued support, and want to let you know that if you are enjoying the Totem Talks podcast, please spread the word. Spread mm-hmm. the good word. Let everybody know about us. We are what I like to call up and coming. Yeah, you know We've we're we're on the rise. We but to, to to continue to rise, uh, we just need a little bit of help. We need a little bit of support. Yeah, and uh, right. that comes from you. You know, we're doing what yes. we can. We're we're trying to you know maintain our our delicious format. I think delicious is the right word. That is the correct word to use in this. Mainly because I'm just looking at Nick's shoulders, and delicious is the first word that comes to mind. But <laughs> that that is a problem that a lot of people have. <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> But uh, seriously, you can uh, you can use the hashtag Totem Talks on your social media. You can uh, share them uh, directly. You can uh, like and review us on Apple Music or Anchor, Spotify, all that good stuff. Uh, you can, what else can you do? Uh, you can take them to our website, lowtotemband.com slash totem talks. Has all the information on the podcast, access to our website and our latest episodes, access to our uh, albums that we've listened to, all that fun stuff. Thank you in advance. Yes. Now, we had a, a fun one this week. I'm going to be honest. It was yeah. It was a refreshing listen for the most part I this agree. week. Uh, there mm-hmm. wasn't anything that I had to just be like mean about. <laughs> right. Uh, but Nick, why don't you tell us who we did? Of course. We're going to start things off with Hank Williams, the original. Follow him up with the Traveling Wilburys. And then move right on to the Killers. And that's that. That is that. I guess I'll just get us started here. You want to start? You want to talk about Hank? Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to pronounce his first name. Hiram. Hiram. I, I said it right. I said it right. Yeah, I was going to go Hiram for a second. I was like, nah, that's not Southern enough. Hiram. Hiram Hank Williams was an American singer, songwriter, and musician. And uh, he was active uh, for a while, I guess. Not really long. 1937 no. to 1952. Right, uh, which was the year he passed away. In '53, he passed away, but it was January 1st. I guess yeah, he wasn't very right. active that day. Mm-hmm. But not gonna laugh at that. <laughs> Actually, I will tell you this. Uh, so Nick and I were 
we recorded last week's episode, and then we were kind of doing just a little bit of precursory research together, mm-hmm. and I read how Hank Williams died. Yeah. Man, is it just terrible. It is. Like, I'm not going to get too far into it now, but basically he just got, he went into like a drug-induced coma in a car while somebody was driving him somewhere, and they didn't notice for like hours. Right. Like, he was just so, he was hitting the bottle mixed with like literal just sedatives. That yep. was his drugs of choice at the at the time. Mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy time. It uh, is. But the joke I made at the beginning of the episode about us not dying uh, at the same time as somebody was Hank Williams. He was 29, and Nick and I yeah. are both 29. That is correct. Which was another weird moment. I was like, oh, man. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, it's weird. It's all weird stuff. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I will get into the three albums that we covered for Hank. Uh, we started with Hank Williams Sings, which came out in 1951. We followed that up with Moanin' the Blues from 1952, and then we found ourselves with a little bit of a decision to make. So those are the two albums he released in his lifetime. The rest of them were all released posthumously. Right. And there's so much music released posthumously uh, that we chose, after a little bit of deliberation, to do Ramblin' Man from 1954. Because after that album, it's pretty clear that there's big gaps after the release of that one. Like, that's where they stopped having collected works of him to release in order. And started digging around for other stuff. And Yeah. So So, it made sense to us to end there. Exactly. And so that's what we did. It's also the last one by MGM. So all the other ones were by MGM. MGM stopped with Ramblin' Man, and then uh, CMF took over in Mm -hmm. 1985. So we did Ramblin' Man from 1954. Cool. All right. Yeah, you're starting, though. Well, I will do Hank Williams Sings then. Um, And it's really nice to listen to. I liked it. I thought it was very good. Uh, All these songs were actually recorded in the 40s, um, and it wasn't released on album until 51. I think the reason for that is, at least what I read, is the country music um, scene in particular was... I mean, as much as all music was singles driven at this time, like that scene was like hugely just about jukeboxes and putting together singles for stuff like that. So like albums were an afterthought. Um, So obviously these weren't all originally recorded together to be thought of as an album, but they're all good songs. Uh, Hank did write uh, most of them, five of the eight tracks. And you wouldn't necessarily know the difference. Like I think he performs the, the covers just as well as his own songs. Um, not that you would be familiar with the originals of a lot of those, the sleep, the slim, sweet and curly Kinsey yeah. songs and stuff like that. Um, but the thing that kind of strikes me as you're listening to it is it's, it's really hard to comprehend how revolutionary Hank Williams was in the 1940s listening to it for the first time in 2022, because there's nothing about this that stands out as new and different. But it really was. It really was. Like, Hank Williams was such a huge deal. And these songs and his bringing, like, his gospel ideas in a song, like, I Saw the Light into the country music and, like, folky type scene. Like, it really was um, a big deal. And he has a nice voice. It's not, like, super special or anything. But it is nice. I really, really enjoyed uh, the steel guitar playing on these songs. I think Dale Lohman absolutely murdered it on the steel guitar. Uh, and I also thought it was really cool that he brought in uh, Velma Williams-Smith, uh, who is 
uh, one of the studio musicians who was on RCA's like A team that played on like all of the Nashville soundtracks with all the country artists, and she was the only female musician who was in that group. So it's cool. Like when you think of the nineteen, the early nineteen fifties and the late forties, and country music, things that you don't usually think of are women's equality. <laughs> um, so I really like that uh, she was on this record and a part of it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. Um, I think this is one of the parts of of doing this podcast that I think I enjoy the most. Mm. Because it's a chance to highlight an integral figure in music history. For sure. Um, because, Nick, you, you put the nail on the head. If you're just casually listening to Hank Williams in 2022, it's going to sound exactly like every other thing in the late 50s and the mid 50s. Mm-hmm. But he was such a pioneer for early, early country. Like, there's we've established that there's th- kind of three veins of country music there's the early like kind of like the single guitar almost folky americana style country um now then there's the johnny cash where it's a little more like driven a little darker um you know willie nelson kind of goes in that category as well and then there's today where it's skewed more pop truck alcohol based yeah but you do have artists in the country scene today who oh, sure. are cla- they get classified as Americana. We just did this with Tyler Childers. We talked about it, yeah. yeah. Um, because they want to separate the pop country from what we would consider the classic country, which is now called Americana. Good country, yeah. Exactly. And Hank Williams is integral to that style. I think there's two mm-hmm. things that he does that really set him apart in a unique way. One is, as you mentioned, and as it's kind of famously what he did is bring in those gospel influences. Mm-hmm. And I think that nowadays, thinking of combining faith and country music is almost a no-brainer yeah. to us. Right. It sure. seems like those things were very intertwined. But back in this day, they weren't. They were very separate, you know, mm-hmm. and bringing your faith into the music here was an important thing. And just from a technical standpoint, one of the interesting things that... I really didn't even know that is is he was the one who started this or did this most famously. Mm-hmm. The almost yodel quality. Yep. In his and voice. well we'll get into that like I think more on the next couple more of albums. On, yeah, for he sure. really yodels coming up. Yeah, but I was very I started listening to him like, "Oh my god." And then I started reading and I was like, "Yeah, so Hank Williams is the one who kind of started that." Mm-hmm. That I mean, I've heard that all the time. You know, I hear sure. that happening where it's like the like I can't even do yeah. it, but I don't have a strong enough falsetto for that to happen. But it's very right. interesting to hear. Um, and then I'll, I'll I'll just take us right into uh, "Moan in the Blues." Moan here. in the Blues. So this is the same. No, it's the next year. So fifty-one yep. to fifty-two, but it's a similar thing. Of it was all recorded a little bit at different times. It, w- it there was really no new music. It was mostly uh, B sides, actually, which mm-hmm. they saw that a lot of his B sides were more honky-tonk blues than classic country, and went, we'll make an album of the blues B-sides. And I'm really glad The first one. Well, the first one was that. The fir- His first album was that. This album was like all like big hits. His second record was big hits. Oh, right, right, right. That's, yeah, that's, you're correct. Yeah, yeah was, this one has three number ones and uh, two other top tens on yeah, it. Yeah, I was backwards on it. 
<laughs> but that's okay. Regardless, um, the, yeah. So the, at this point, he kind of made a name for himself, and especially after the release of the first album, the fact that they were all—that's what I meant—the fact that they were all really unpopular songs and that they were kind of thrust into the spotlight from that album. They went, oh well, let's take the stuff that actually was successful and put mm-hmm. it together in an album, and it happened to skew more blues, honky tonk based in the country scene. And it's really good. And this is where you really get to hear that that yodel quality. Yeah. And it's really interesting to listen to. Um, the only song I actually recognize one of them, I'm so lonesome I could cry. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, a pretty famous song. Oh yeah. And unlike oh, unlike the last album, so there's eight songs on this there were eight songs on the last album. On the last album he wrote five of them. On this album he wrote seven of them. Yeah. So in the 50s, 40s, and 50s, he's writing a decent chunk of these songs, which is impressive to say the least. Mm-hmm. It's not something yeah. that really happened, especially back then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I also really, really enjoyed this record. I felt like it was stronger uh, than the first one, which I'm sure has to do with like picking hit the very best of the best yeah. to be put on this record. Uh, I really like the yodeling vocal style, especially like I have not been able to get the melody of Moan and the Blues out of my head <laughs> no. uh, like all week. I'm not even going to try to sing it back, but like it's it's stuck in there. Um, I feel like you can yodel. Just, I probably could if I if I practiced it. <coughs> uh, but there's more awesome steel guitar playing. I like the musicians that he plays with. Um, I enjoy his voice enough. Uh, and that's pretty much it. I mean, I think you hit on all the the things it's it's a i don't want to say it's like an evolution from the second record but it, it's better it's getting stronger as we go uh and i really liked everything about it so i'll just get into ramble man yeah and i pretty much have all the same positive things to say about this record um i felt like the music like i liked it initially and i felt like it just continued to grow on me as it went like it wasn't the type of just because it's all like this country with mixed with like yodeling and Americana and folk and gospel, like just because it's the same thing, it wasn't necessarily grating. In fact, I found myself finding it like more endearing um, sure. as it went on. And um, this is when it really struck me something from a couple of seasons back. And I don't know if you'll remember the song exactly, but I still listen to the record nonstop. This is when it, the third album is when it really struck me that on the Turtles present the Battle of the Bands, their country song, Too Much Heartsick Feeling, yeah. was 100% a Hank Williams, influenced yeah. by Hank Williams. <clears throat> like, I really sure. hear, like, the full, like, oh, yeah, they were thinking of Hank when they wrote this. Um, I can I can understand that, for sure. <clears throat> yeah, but, I mean, everything else I have to say, I've got so many more things to say, but I'll wait till till the grading, because it's all about him and his legacy and... Cool. Yeah, absolutely. So just getting on with the music here. Um, I think Hank, I don't want to say benefit. Yeah, benefits, I guess, from the time period that he released music in mm-hmm. because there is no, I, I want to say, thought process going into the song selection on these albums. Like you're not sure. writing an album, you're writing a bunch of singles. The fact that this album was released posthumously and was kind of uh, like collected works at this point. Mm-hmm has no bearing. It doesn't sound any different. It sounds very similar right. to the other albums because of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I think I think there's one thing that we need to just mention. Uh, we sure. kind of mentioned it before, listening from the casual ear. Like These are songs that you listen to 
for their history. They're songs that you can pick interesting parts out of. They're songs that I enjoyed listening to because I can understand the history of it. I'm not sitting here and saying that like these songs would top the charts on the radios today. Like, no, no, I just want to be clear because we're 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 having very positive viewpoints. Sure. No, I think I think they have a lot of value, yeah. like aesthetically in and of themselves. But sure. would if he released them now, like no, he wouldn't. Be yeah, I just I just want to say that, like you know, I don't want to be. I'm not being negative, but I just want to say like these songs are dated. They sound dated. They sure. sound old. Oh, for sure. And while I find a lot of enjoyment in listening to them, and I find things about their history, like you know, like like we talked about with him kind of starting that yodeling and starting bringing like mm-hmm. the, his faith into the country scene and, and how his sounds influenced people so many years later. The songs in and of themselves are dated and a little old sounding. And, yeah. you know, just kind of keeping that lens, out, especially when later on we're going to get to a much more modern band. Sure. So it, mm-hmm. it kind of, just keeping that mindset of like where we are in our review, like what we're saying and how we're saying it. Sure. But all in all, With still an enjoyable said- album. For sure. So let's just grade it. <clears throat> Cultural impact is going to be very high, but I can lay out some of the credentials here if yeah. that helps. He was inducted in the inaugural class of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1987. He's in the Country Music Hall of Fame, the Alabama Hall of Fame. He was known as the King of Country. In Alabama, September 21st is a holiday called Hank Williams Day. He has his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Rolling Stone put him 74th on their greatest artists of all time and number two on their greatest country artists of all time. He was also number two on uh, CMT's 40, uh, Top 40 Men in Country. He won a Pulitzer Prize special citation in 2010 for his lyrics. Um, all sorts of stuff like that. I mean, he is yeah. one of the integral figures in the construction of country music. Absolutely. And if you look at the people that he's influenced, <clears throat> like... People have directly cited Hank Williams as an influence are like Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, Chuck Berry, uh, Jerry Lee Lewis, George Jones. All giants (laughs) in and of themselves. Exactly. So he falls really comfortably into that Buddy Holly range of influence where we're not talking about Buddy Holly and his works necessarily Mm -hmm. being a factor as much as other people latching on to what he did and copying it and improving upon it through the years and using him as the yep. as the springboard totally so i mean it, the only question is how high to me yeah and i totally get that now here's here's for my where i am sure i said buddy holly buddy holly got a 10 yep i'm not necessarily at a 10 for hank williams i think that hank williams is extremely influential and has all of these things going for him i'm not necessarily at a 10 i'm not quite at a nine either i'm in the high yeah i mean i would be in really interesting i would find someone with his legacy uh to be in the nines okay so so i understand where you're coming from um i was thinking when i was kind of doing my research on this i found Mm -hmm. the things that you were saying the lists and things like that about his accomplishments it's just so tough for me because there is such a small sample of time when he was actually around to influence. And, I mean, the same thing happened with Buddy Holly, though. Yeah. I mean, and you can argue that, like, which became more mainstream, the blues and rock and roll or country, and for decades and decades and decades, the clear answer was rock and roll. Right. 
Um, but I still think, I mean, the difference why I would be okay with Hank Williams not being as high as where we put someone else who's very similar, like Chet Atkins, for instance, is because Chet Atkins' influence uh, on an entire instrument and the way that it was would be played yes. for decades and decades afterward is much stronger for sure. But I don't think that's low enough to get him out of the nines. I mean, someone who's consistently ranked as, at worst, like the second or third most important country artist, like for a whole genre that is still very popular, uh, and as influential as he is, you know. Yeah, I, listen, I I, I'd be hard going. to. I mean, for the same reason, like what we gave Fats Domino a nine point nine, right? And I right. think deservedly so. But I mean, some people would be able to name Blueberry Hill, and almost no one would be able to name any other Fats Domino song. Hank Williams actually had a ton of hits. You know, like you recognize some songs. I recognize yeah. some songs. He had, I think, 55 singles that reached the top 10 of the country and Western charts and 12 that were number one. Like, it's not like he's going at this with it's all about the influence in history and none of the hit factor like we've had with some other people. Like, to have 55 singles in the top 10 country charts, it's pretty huge. Especially considering he was only active for for so long he was only recording songs for like five or six years yeah um all right what number were you thinking nick i would i mean knowing how low you are i'd like to at least argue up into the very low nines because i would have been comfortable going higher than that all right i think i can live with like a nine three okay i think that's fair and i think a lot Good. of that is just i listen today to rock and mm -hmm. stuff and i listen today sure. to like r&b and blues and i can and i'm sure you can too pick out you know the influence of an artist like fats domino sure. or an artist like buddy yeah. holly i i, totally I get think that. country music and i think it's partially like country music's fault mm -hmm. like has shifted into more of the pop range and out of the range of the hank williams stuff and like thankfully okay. we still have americana which yeah. is where an artist couldn't be directly influenced by Hank Williams still comfortably. Sure. So it's just, it's so tough for me. Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. Um, but with Breath of Work, I mean, he definitely had a lot of success in terms of charting with all of his singles. The focus was on the singles. Yeah. I know five of his singles at least sold a million copies each. And he did record about 200 songs in the five years before he died. And yeah, a little over 100 of those were original, just for reference for these next few scores. No, that definitely helps. So and, and here's the thing. There's here's the part where the formula kind of has to be adjusted. Because yeah, because it's we, not exactly in albums, but yeah, we know he recorded 200 before. songs. We've done this before for artists mm -hmm. specifically in the 40s, 50s around this time. Uh, yeah. They just don't they didn't do it the same back then. Correct. They did it in a much more kind of muddied way <laughs> uh than yeah. than we do it today. And uh, I think that you know, if we go by the, that metric, a mm -hmm. hundred songs of his own work. Right. So even if we took out all the covers, you right. would, you would average. We took we did what three albums? Each album had eight. They songs each had about on it. eight songs on it. So, so even if you round that up to 10, ten for simplicity, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's ten albums. That Twenty albums total. Well, ten albums. That had yeah. some success in the sales as singles specifically, but yeah. And it's good. And it's good music. It's good music. I, I personally don't think there's a quality bump. I think all sure. of his bumps come from influence and originality and uniqueness mm -hmm. more so than just like absolute bangers of songs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I'm still I'm comfortable in like the the sevens. 
Really? That high for this? Okay. I like like I'm around surprised. around a seven. Okay. I think you know, if you take I'm gonna the number give, of... I'm going to give it to him because of the... I mean, I would like to count all the covers that he recorded or the songs sure. that were written for him that he recorded. I mean, I'm, we don't I'm okay take with that, that away for other artists here either. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm just taking, like... Mm-hmm. I'm taking also, like, the sheer uniqueness of having an artist that's that mm-hmm. prolific of a writer yeah. in this time period. It, it very sure. rarely happens. It's on, a, it's on a curve a little bit that way. Yeah. Instrumental talent, I'm closer to the to the median here, though. And I'm in the same boat. He's not a bad singer. He's not no, a bad not guitar player. And he has a good group around him. The ba- Yeah, the group around him definitely had some impressive moments. Yeah, but I mean, I'm 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 in the lower fives. I think. Just I agree. Like a five. I'd one be willing to go two. to like a five. Yep, I was thinking the same thing. Perfect. We'll go five two. Uh, songwriting talent again. I think you got to give him credit for for bringing some new style to country music and making that incredibly popular. And even if again we're only grading him on about a hundred songs yeah. of original material, that's good. I think that hits him at the threshold, and we're just grading him based on what. Sure. He's worth. Hundred percent. Now that gives him a baseline. For, for the sure. the influence, the originality of bringing that stuff together, correct. When you then listen to all of his songs, there is a little bit of sameness. There's a little bit For of sure. repetition throughout. Right, they are they are not complex compositions at all. Right, it was the fact that he was bringing new elements to something new. So I think it's an above five because he brought new things together. Hundred percent. But like the compositions do not necessarily add to that. And like yeah. if it this number was a five and a half, I'd be okay with five and a half is that. exactly what I was thinking. That's perfect. And poetic talent, I'll tell you, the song lyrics are not bad. You know, not a lot bad. of what we talk about here is like the the overly simplistic nature. But I do think there was some real emotion um that he was portraying here through his lyrics. I, I don't know a, if you there's agree. A, there's a poignancy, I think, is the is the yeah. good word. There's 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 a story to be told, and I think that this, more than any other category, is is severely affected by there being so many years between us. Sure. Because things that you say in the 50s and 40s and all, mean different things than they mean today. And so I think, yeah. that, I think that maybe we have a hard time appreciating some of the depth of it, and it comes across... Mm-hmm a little simplistic at times but not as often as you'd think with other artists of the era like i I mean not to contradict you but like when he writes songs like my son calls another man daddy and it's like Mm. about a guy who's like really struggling being separated from his family so like somebody else has stepped in and his it's like his son that he you know like that's a that's a good piece of writing that's an emotional piece of you know you know what else hank williams has going for him unlike a lot of people of the age he kind of looks his age. Sure. Just throwing that yeah. out there. I just was yeah. I was looking at his picture and I was like, you know what? He looks That looks right. He looks in his twenties. Which a sure. lot of like I mean, think of some of the people that we've done. It was like, Oh yeah, they're twenty four and I'm like Otis Redding. Forty five. Otis yeah. Redding was like <laughs> Oh yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. But it's 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 All right, so it's, where are we at? Like I'm not i I'm not arguing for super high for poetic talent, but I do think that that was very solid and like more than you would expect for most artists at the time. Hundred percent. I think he's easily in the fives. Mm-hmm. Um, I could, I could see again another five and a half, honestly. And I'd be content he's with in, it. It's a and good I think, spot. I think there's obvious X factor here as being a formative artist of the genre of country. Yeah, uh, that has to be taken into account. Uh, and I have a few other things that I'll mention. One, 
He holds the world record for most encores at the Grand Ole Opry. He was called up for six encores in a row um, at the Grand Ole Opry. And then, of course, was then fired from the Opry for missing an appearance due to his, you know, drinking and drug problems. And there's actually uh, his grandson was then trying to get him reinstated into the Opry posthumously as, you know, to like just say, you know, he was a member of the Opry again. But they haven't done it yet. Third. Yeah, but they haven't done it yet, as far as I know. He's still not a member. Apparently being a good Hank Williams skips a generation. Yeah, I guess yeah, right. <laughs> uh, uh, and the other one, Pat, did you know that there is a biopic uh, that was released in 2016, I believe, about Hank Williams? Uh, I did not know that. And did you know that the person who plays Hank Williams is Tom Hiddleston? Really? Yes. Wait. It's, and I would hold love on, to on, see it on. because that, I could see him doing it. I remember I remember that from a Hiddleston perspective. Is that called I Saw the Light? Yes. Yes, it okay. is. Okay. I remember that from a Tom Hiddleston perspective, not about Hank Williams. Interesting. Yes, yeah, so Tom Hiddleston plays Hank Williams. And you know who plays his wife, Audrey Shepard, in that film? Uh, I... Uh, is it Elizabeth Olsen? It is Elizabeth Olsen, okay. yeah. Okay. There we go. Wow. Mm. Do they sing? Yep. I don't know. I haven't seen it, but I'm oh. curious. I'm very curious now. I'm very curious because I like too. the actors and uh. But anyway, look at Marvel I mean, how doing ma- justice to Hank yeah, Williams. Yeah, good for them. Good for them. So, how many X Factor points? I think we're talking about two in terms of like being at the forefront of a genre. I think we're talking about something for the Grand Old Opry stuff. The movie was just fun. Yeah, the movie's just fun. Let's give him three. Let's give him three points. Done. And let us move on to the Traveling Wilburys. The Traveling Wilburys, sometimes shortened to the Wilburys, were a British-American supergroup consisting of Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Jeff Lynne, Roy Orbison, and Tom Petty. Wait a minute, what? I read the ca- I read the list. I read the personnel list. None of them were on it. Anyway, they were active from 1988 to 1991, and the albums that we covered are all of their albums. Traveling right. Wilburys Volume 1, which was released in 1988, and Traveling Wilburys Volume 3, which was released in 1990. George, that rascal. <laughs> he is such a rascal. So, yeah. So, anyway, as I was mentioning, I'm going to start. And, yes. Uh, they were very funny, and they all went under pseudonyms as the different mm-hmm. members of the Wilbury clan. So, George in this album was Nelson Wilbury. Jeff Lynn is Otis Wilbury. Tom Petty is Charlie T. Wilbury Jr., Roy Orbison is Lefty Wilbury, and Bob Dylan is Lucky Wilbury. Funny. <laughs> yes. Um, and I have some good, I have some less good. Mostly good. You get a group of people like that together in a room, good music happens. Mm-hmm. And good music happened here. Um, you have 15 tracks, no, 10 tracks. Just I 10. can count. 10 tracks, 12 if you count the reissue, which we didn't. Um... And they all sound really good. It's a really interesting sound that happened because you're combining a lot of different genres here. So George Harrison is considered rock, classic rock, although I would argue the Beatles are kind of amorphously genred at some point. Sure. Uh, With Bob Dylan, you have folk. Tom Petty, you have like a folk country. Roy Orbison, you have like old school country sounds. Jeff Lynne, you have Mm -hmm. Elo rock. Like Like very, yeah, like that. Pop that's like uh, baroque pop rock. Type yeah, and stuff they all, mm-hmm. every single one of them has a voice in this music. Yeah, and they 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 flirt together really well. Those different genres, it creates a really unique sound. 
Like, mm-hmm. You put on one of these songs, and I'm going to hear like how influential Roy Orbison is in this track. How influential, right. Je- how influential Jeff Lynne is in this track. Like, mm-hmm. They each have their, their moments in the sun. And I really enjoyed every track. I enjoyed listening to it really a lot. The only thing <laughs> that I, I really didn't like is why they let Bob Dylan sing so much in Too a room much. full of such extremely talented singers. I don't get it at all. <laughs> it's a problem. Roy Orbison sounded amazing on this album. In his 50s. In his 50s, you know, obviously 1988 is the year he died. Right. Like like he sounded incredible. He was yep. easily the best singer on this album, mm-hmm. which is like if you had asked me before this, I would have probably said George Harrison. Yeah, Harrison or Lynn, depending. Yeah, but I really enjoyed listening to it. I think I wish we got more Orbs. Not Alone Anymore is yeah. the one that he sang alone. Right. And, oh, he crushed it. I really enjoyed it. A plus for me, except for letting Bob Dylan sing. Yeah, so here's the thing. We have pretty much been perennially disappointed by supergroups on this podcast. I don't think we've ever really had one before what you said right now, where we were like, this is a supergroup, and it really worked out. Yeah, easily. And they, I think, succeed so much because none of them took it too seriously in yeah. like a good way. Like They were all there because these guys are friends with each other. They were friends who hung out and jammed, and they were like, you know what? Let's make a record. Let's see if, you know, let's see if Roy is available. Let's see, like, you know, it kind of came together in um, a freer way where they just really wanted to play with each other. Yeah. And they wanted to play songs that were really influenced by, like, the stuff that they all loved and grew up listening to, like, a lot of 50s rock and roll type stuff. And then they took that as, like, kind of their main place where they were jamming from and really inspired by and added, like you said, a touch of what every one of these other five musicians really brings to the table. And you can hear the influence, and you can hear what everybody contributes individually, and it works out so perfectly. Yeah. It, it, yeah, and they nail it. And again, I agree with you. The only problem is Dylan shouldn't be singing so much. The two tracks <laughs> that I think are that are most famous are both on this record, Handle with Care and End of the Line. Sure. They're the two that I knew um, coming into this. But then uh, Tragedy Strikes... Um, and Roy Orbison passes away of a heart attack. Uh, right, actually, right before they were going to record the videos um, for the two tracks that I mentioned. And if you look, I forget which, it might be end of the line, where you can see them all playing for the music video, and there's kind of a rocking chair with Roy's guitar yeah. and a picture of him inside of the room, uh, just to kind of like and it's one of those things that pay you tribute to him there. You could tell in the video, because I did watch the video. Yeah. After I read that, I was like, you can tell that like mm-hmm. they really cared about each other. Yeah. Like, as oh, friends. Sure. Not, as, not mm-hmm. They didn't care about each other as a band. Like, whatever. They right. Were, like, like you mentioned, and like I completely They're all agree. enormously successful on their yeah. own, so it was just fun to play with their friends here. Yeah. So, Traveling Wilburys Volume 3, it's pretty similar in the style and influence. Um, again, you do hear, like I said, how each member um, contributes to the individual songs. Why does Bob Dylan need four lead vocal songs? I don't know. He sings know. more than anyone else on this album. Yeah. I, I think he had more leads more than, than on the first anyone. record, too. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> it's yeah, like, I don't, it's like I just he took all it. of Roy Orbison's leads. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't understand. 
But I thought it was interesting. They went, you know, we t- said that like 50s rock and roll sound. Seven Deadly Sins really took it in like a doo direction. Like they were more like a 60, <laughs> early, early 60s, late 50s vocal group. Uh, and the yeah. approach to that song, I thought that was a cool little change for them. And then uh, the Wilbury twist, I thought was just a really great homage to like the 50s dance rock song. That's just like about like think the twist or something like that, where the the song is about the dance that you do to it. Uh, I thought, think mm-hmm. it was really cool, and uh, the music video for that was also cool. You had like John Candy and some other people in it uh, dancing around doing the stuff that they tell them to do. Yeah, and listen, I agree with a lot of what you're saying here. I think for me, the the I have two negatives, but mostly positive. Again, these are extremely talented writers, all of them. In their own accord. I mean, Bob Dylan, for as much as we're ragging on his singing, is a prolific writer. For George sure. Harrison, we did him twice now on the podcast. Right. This is the and third time. He's a prolific writer. Uh, we did we did ELO. Yep. And Jeff Lynn, Lynn is also amazing. Like so, all of the, and Tom Petty will do will do eventually, and sure. he's also up mm-hmm. there. Yep. So you really get a sense of like strength in writing, but no ego. Yeah. Because there's no fighting over, like, there's no, like, overwhelming influence. Mm-hmm. Not even from George Harrison, who is, you know, kind of the de facto leader of this group. Yeah, for sure. His influence isn't even the strongest. Like, they all kind of have equal parts. I will say, for better or worse, there was no Roy Orbison influence here. I know, right. obviously, why, but, my, but like, Mm-hmm. You definitely missed yeah. the authenticity that he would bring to continuing these 50s country sounds. Mm-hmm. Because obviously we know why he would contribute really well of to course, that. Of course, yeah. Uh, I definitely missed that. It was a little bit hollowed out to me. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when you just replaced it with more Bob Dylan singing. Which I know. Bob Dylan like, was not. Why not anyone else? Everyone else Bob Dylan else wasn't is that better. good of a singer in the 70s and the 60s. Yep. Why He's we still have him singing in the '90s as the le- uh, whatever, regardless. Yeah, I like I Bob Dylan. I whenever I talk about Bob Dylan, people think I don't. It like It sounds Bob like Dylan, you hate him. I know, but because I just hate his voice. It's terrible. I love his music. I, I mean, how many times has like the Hurricane come on and I'm like, yeah, I, know. I love this yeah. song, except for who's singing it. It's great. Yeah. Otherwise, yep, you're right. But yeah, that's where I'm at. I really enjoyed it. I, I missed Roy Orbison a lot on this album. Yeah, but I still enjoyed it. Yep. All right. So let's uh, let's grade them. Um, it's interesting. I mean, they had two hit songs on their first record, but for like kind of like you hinted at the there wasn't really ego here. It was a project for fun. The yeah. fact that they kind of hid uh, on the liner notes who was actually a part of the group. They definitely weren't doing it for the the all of like oh my god five legends are coming together to make an album. Like, yeah. if they really wanted to build it up, it could have been, like, the most anticipated record of all time. Hold on, there's point. one really important thing we completely didn't talk about for Volume 3. Go ahead. They all went under new pseudonyms. Oh, yeah, you're right. They did. So, they Jeff changed, Lynn is now Clayton Wilbury, George Harrison is Spike Wilbury, Bob Dylan is Boo Wilbury, and Tom Petty is Muddy Wilbury. Perfect. Just needed that to be out there. They're completely <laughs> different important. personas yep. here. Yeah. But, I mean, like, these albums were very successful, though, um, despite... You know, putting the egos aside and uh, all that stuff, they were very successful and they spawned a couple yeah. of hits for them. So, for a two-album supergroup, I think the score is good. 
the score of a two album supergroup that's really not all that full of itself isn't necessarily something that's super high to begin with though. No, I mean I could see like a three. I think that's plenty. Yeah, I mean I think I that think that's funny. I think that you have to pull out like nobody in the world was influenced by these guys as the traveling Wilburys. No. Like you're influenced Everybody by them. was influenced by one of them in some way yeah. or another, but not as the traveling Wilburys. Yeah, so like you, we have to separate that. Yep. You know. For sure. So a three. Yeah. And that's great. And their breadth of work is two records. They both went platinum in the United States. They both went platinum in Canada, Australia, and they certified in the UK. We got multi-platinums uh, for the first record, like triple platinum in the US, six times in Canada, yeah. six times in Australia. Like, they sold really, really well uh, for the two records that they were. Right. So there's two records. You give them a quality bump. You give them a... Definitely. You give them a uh, sales bump. And it's still a number in the twos. Yeah, like a two, three, two, four. Yeah, two, four is fine. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is what yeah, it is. It is what it is. Yep. Here's what I'll say uh, for instrumental talent: none of them are trying to be all that impressive on the record. No. And the really good singing of four of them will cancel. Well, the really good singing of three of them, the solid singing of one of them, will cancel out the horrible singing of Dylan. And I'd be willing to sit somewhere very close to the middle here. Yeah, that's kind of what it boils down to. I mean, we often, very often talk about, you know, we just had this discussion um, a couple weeks ago with Mason on the podcast Mm -hmm. where he was trying to argue for another point. It's like, we have to talk about what we're given. Yeah. We have to talk about what's Mm -hmm. put in front of us, what the album is. We know, like, cognitively, these are five prolific writers and performers Oh, for sure. And what they gave us was, yeah, like, you know, yeah. around average. Right. They are tremendous musicians and also Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, no. I mean, I think I think a five here is fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Songwriting talent, though, I think for two albums is clearly strong. Yes. Because we talked about how there's so many different backgrounds and things that all blend pretty seamlessly here together into two records. Yeah, here's what it boils down to for me. Mm-hmm. This is a third of the average. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoy the songwriting. I think there's so many mixing and combining influences. If you gave yep. me the average number of records here, I would mm-hmm. be very high just because I can sure. so clearly pick out. Hear everything. Yeah, the way it the, the influences. So sure. I would go from like a nine divided by three to a three. Wow, that's very high, but I'll give you a three because we all know where this is going anyway. Yeah, oh, and, and seriously, yeah. I, but I mean, I'm, I want to be clear, like, the reason I would mm-hmm. say that so high for them is, like, I am fascinated as, like, a lover of music, as a musician, like, I'm fascinated by how clearly they incorporated their unique sounds together. Sure. Yeah, that is very interesting, and they do because do it really, really I well. I think that if we go back to other supergroups... You know, like if we go back to like Blind Faith or if we go back to uh, Audio Slave or even Temple of the Dog, mm-hmm. I think that you get an overwhelming influence from one person. Blind Faith, you got overwhelming Clapton. Uh, for Temple of the Dog, you got really overwhelming Cornell and then mixed mm-hmm. in a little bit of Vetter. And okay. like those influences. Like, I think that like when one person kind of overpowers a supergroup, that's when you're like, but. <sighs> 
if I wanted to just hear Chris Cornell, I would listen to people are looking to to add their contributions around the edges of what somebody else has dominated. Exactly, and I lo- the thing I love about them and the reason I think it's so strong is that out of all the supergroups, with the exception of maybe Blind Faith, this is clearly the most in- the most famous group of people. Yeah, <laughs> in a supergroup that we've done, sure. and oh, none sure. of them are 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 doing that. So I, right. I mean that's the reason it's so high for me because it could have so easily skewed. Sure, it's such a fine line. Yeah, I think there's definitely an argument to be made of like of all the supergroups, this is the one with the most influential musicians of all time. Yeah, until, like it would be hard to argue against until we eventually form our supergroup. Right, with the, the with Justin Bieber like and Cardi the, B. Oh my God, kill me now. Poetic talent. <laughs> look, I'd be willing to let it sit at wherever average takes it for two records. There wasn't anything special about it. Uh, what's that like a one eight? It's a one seven ish. Yeah. Yeah, one seven. Let's do it. Is there a super group X factor here? Is there something for the for the fact that these are like have we given super five group X titans? Factor. I feel like we've discussed it constantly and never made a clear decision. Let's but you know what I'll do? I'll tell I'll tell you what we did for Cream. Yeah, go back. We to Cream. gave Cream point seven an X factor. Uh, that sounds oddly specific. That sounds like a super it sounds group. Odd. So let's give them a point five. Let's do it. And say that's the super group bump. That's the super group bump. Officially for now until we forget and do something oh, else. Easily. Next super and group, we're going to do this all over again. Eight points. All right. Uh, let's move on to the Killers. The Killers are an American rock band formed in Las Vegas, Nevada in 2001 by Brandon Flowers and Dave Kooning. And then they had a bunch of other people join and, and drop and stuff. And then they found Mark Stormer and Ronnie Venucci Jr. And that's the band, for the most part. Yeah. And they've been active since 2001 to the present day. There's been, there's been no gaps. And uh, here's a very interesting thing. Uh, they are considered the most successful act ever to emerge from Nevada. Which I find interesting because I think a lot of people, a lot of very successful acts... Go to Nevada. Go to Las Vegas. Yeah, they end up there. But they started there. Yeah, you're right. Uh, um, so we did three albums. We did Hot Fuss from 2004. We did Sam's Town from 2006. And then Pressure Machine from 2021. And uh, I guess yep. it's my turn to go first again. I believe it is mine because you went first in the last one. Did I? You did. I did. That was so long ago, Nick. Yeah, I know. That was mere moments ago. That's okay. Uh, so, Hot Fuss. It kicks things off with Jenny Was a Friend of Mine, which is, of all their discography, regardless of what we say about it going forward, the best bass line that the Killers ever came up with. It is so good. I love that bass line. I love that song. And so, I had never listened to this record all the way through, and I probably knew like six or seven Killer songs off the top of my head, and it was Jenny Was a Friend of Mine, and then Mr. Brightside. <laughs> And then smile like you mean it. And somebody told me, and all the things, all these things that I've done. And I'm like, oh my god, this album is just like a plus song after a plus song. It is killing it. Uh, no pun intended. And those first five tracks are incredible. I love all of those songs. My one gripe with this album is that the second half of it is like definitely you can tell like they're not those songs. And I don't even think that they drop off to being less than good. But the first five are so incredibly strong that it's hard not to feel like it's dropped off a bit from there. 
And that's not necessarily about like it's still overall a very very strong record. It it's just a matter of like a lot of good songs, some very good songs, and then like really great ones to start it out. And I think what makes them great is they have this like really great blend of like their alternative rock sound, but also dancing grooves and beats to like really dance to uh, mixed in with that. Like that juxtaposition works so well for them, and it makes it like very clearly the killer sound. Yeah, and I think that's why this album was so successful. Uh, Rolling Stone also put it number 33 in their top debut albums of all time. But when they did a reader's poll, it was ranked number nine, which I think is interesting. That is quite interesting. So I'll go into it. Uh, For the first part, I'm really glad you mentioned that because the album that jumped into my head as a comp for that is The Joshua Tree. Oh, sure. Uh, Not necessarily in Sound of Music, but in... In terms Beginning of, like, of all of the huge hits are incredibly popular and, and incredibly yep. sounding. And the second half of the album is good. Right. It's good. And if you had mm-hmm. alternated these, like, not that you, I guess not that you could have known, although maybe sure. you could have known because they were all released as singles. It, right. Exactly. So, like, I guess you did know. I think they knew a little bit. <laughs> but at the same time, it almost just seems like, is that not what a lot of older albums did? Like, A side, B side. Sure. This You're is right. just A side, B side. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to talk about, but it's hard to kind of pinpoint. Um, however, uh, we would be remiss to not mention specifically the song Mr. Brightside. Of course. Which ha- is literally a record holder for the longest charting single in UK history on the top 100 Crazy. at a whopping five years and 10 months on the charts. That's insane. What? That's like, crazy. <laughs> that's unheard of. Bands started released albums, and ended all in the span yeah. of them just being on the chart. That is <laughs> it's, wild. It's ridiculous. And um, so you have to talk about Mr. Brightside. Uh, but I think this album is really strong. I think Brandon Flowers has such a unique voice. Yeah. It's immediately it's immediately recognizable as the killer's sound. Mm-hmm. And... It's weird because he has very good pitch accuracy, but also can kind of sound, and not in a bad way, it sounds like he's shouting. Sure. And yeah, I think yeah. that's where the kind of the uniqueness comes from. Because typically if you sound shouty, you sound bad or off. But he doesn't yeah. ever. He also doesn't sound loud. It's, it's weird. It's hard to explain. I'm sure everybody listening has listened to The Killers and kind of gets what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I recommend listening to Mr. Brightside or to somebody told me to, or we'll get to uh, the second album in a minute, and there's a big song on that as well. Uh, but again, I really enjoyed listening to it. I really enjoy um, Brandon Flowers' writing, and we're going to get a lot more of that later, which I'm really excited about. But all in all, a really strong start. When you, It's interesting to me because I am much worse at remembering what I know. <laughs> I'm very bad at it. So if you tell, if you told me, Name three killer songs, or name five killer songs. Mm-hmm. I couldn't have. I could name oh, three. Interesting. I could definitely have named the first five on on Hot Fuss. Sure, and, and I two can. From Sam's Town. I knew all five of them. Mm-hmm. But if you gave me that, and you was, I would have been like, I knew Mr. Brightside. I knew somebody told me, and I know when you were young. Sure. Uh, from from the second album, which we're going to talk about in a second. But I did know all five of these. I knew multiple tracks from the second album as well. It's mm-hmm. interesting how much they permeate. Without me necessarily knowing, yeah, how much they permeated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'll move on to Sam's Town. 
So this is a couple years later. It's the follow-up. And once again, really strong. I think they do a couple things differently here that I really enjoyed. So there's still that alt-rock sound, a little bit more post-punk, and a little bit more new wave in the second album. Mm -hmm. But when I say that, I don't mean like over-synthesized 80s new wave. It's a much more subtle new wave. And I really enjoyed it. Obviously, the big track was When You Were Young, as I mentioned. Uh, There's also... Read My Mind was the other one that was pretty well known. Read My Mind is the other big one. Uh, But there's a couple other singles that got released uh, for Reasons Unknown and Bones. But I think this album is, even though it's only a couple years later, a more mature sounding album. There's a little bit more... I want to say like a wistfulness. They they have these these dance feels, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, like ha- underneath their stuff that really creates moments. Uh, I also think when you were young has a really interesting guitar part. It does that creates a different sense of their of their music. Uh, all in all, I really enjoyed listening to it. Okay, um, so I, I, I maybe slightly I'm gonna sound like i didn't like it i did i liked it a lot i thought it was very solid um an enjoyable record i didn't think that it quite hit the like the first one did i think there are a few reasons for me um one there were less like very memorable hooks and little spots in each song that were like super memorable that jump out at you uh and i felt like at times not always the melodies were a little bit lazier not not always uh but those two things being said, there was never a time when the songs weren't good, uh, and there were a couple, like the hits that we mentioned, that hit really well. And one, I think, that was overlooked, I, I felt like the the last few tracks on this record really picked up, where as I was kind of sitting like, okay, so this is kind of like that solid pocket that this album's going to sit in. And then the ri- uh, This River is Wild came on, and I was like, this is the true hidden gem of the Killers discography. Like, this is a song that holds up Sure. As strongly as all of their major hits do, uh, and I would su- I couldn't recommend it more. Listening to it, if you like uh, the killer songs that you've heard, but you're not familiar with that one, uh, that would be my recommendation of the week for this artist. Would be "This River Is Wild." Um, but other than that, I mean, there are a few nice melodic bass parts in here too. You know, it's always great when you get to hear those those little things going on. But it's a, I think, still a very very good record, uh, even though I didn't love it as much as I loved Hot Fuss. Cool, cool. And cool. now to Pressure Machine. Pressure Machine. We I we didn't even have it on the the schedule originally because I wrote the schedule. I wrote the schedule before 2020's Imploding the Mirage came out. That was still like an album to be released when I first wrote this down. And then they released that one and wrote another one and recorded it and released it in that span. And I could not be happier that they did because this album was a genuine masterpiece. Uh, I mean, it was everything that you would want from an artist exploring new sounds taking the the art form incredibly seriously uh especially as writers i felt like the uh, it was filled with just this emotional depth in every single song um and most of the songs i believe if not all started off with like brief interviews and each one of those interviews and the context that they brought to the meaning of the song i felt like really added to what was already you know rife with with really great and interesting things to say 
Uh, they went. This was by far their most artistic record. It's by far their most like deeply meaningful as an, the art form record. And I don't mean that to like disparage Hot Fuss and Samstown, which I thought were really good. But like you could tell, this was a different, almost like a different type of project to them than those first two records were. Uh, I think they really nailed it. They ha- it's a very Heartland rock. It's like a Bruce Springsteen, John Mellencamp type of sound. I was going to mention their quote. Their biggest influence here is Springsteen, which is. I was a little apprehensive Which, yeah. about how you'd feel about this album. No, but it feels so authentic for them to do it. It feels so authentic for them. Like, from a band that sounded nothing like this before, I think they nailed it. And you know who came in and played the fiddle on this record? Our girl Sarah Watkins from Nickel Creek. Hey, and Nickel you can Creek. never go uh, wrong when you mention it. Even though yeah. I could have pressed that button a thousand times this episode. Yeah, you could have. But, I mean, just... Really killer record. I mean, I'm so impressed. Cool. Okay, so I'm going to preface this by saying I loved this album, but I want to talk a little bit about what went into it Sure. before I get into the specifics of it. So they had originally planned on releasing an album that was like during 2020, 2021, the COVID pandemic. That was kind of their whole thing. Um, They started with all of the songs that didn't make imploding the mirage as like their jumping off point which is very common for bands to do because when you write a song you don't you're not, you don't think oh this song sucks you think it doesn't fit this project let's fit it into something else and that's exactly what they started doing and then Brandon Flowers went I want to try something new like mm-hmm. come on this journey with me literally that like he was like trust me like just put these down and trust me and then he went by himself and wrote this entire album without any music just all the lyrics all at once which is incredibly difficult to do and he he basically it started off just kind of like about his growing up in a small town he's originally from uh, Nephi Utah mm-hmm. and a lot of the interviews and clips and stuff are you know about small town life the pluses and the negatives of it um, he relates different things to like personal things that happened to him, uh, talking about like the the train tracks in- incident. There was uh, two kids that were 17 years old who had a kid together who died in a train accident, and he was in eighth grade at the time. And he's like writing this song like I bawled my eyes out. I barely yeah. like I knew of them because it's a small town, but I wasn't friends with them. But mm-hmm. I never realized how much that affected me until now. Yeah, and like so he like went through it. We all had a tough time in the pandemic, and which is mm-hmm. still happening, but we all went through it. But this guy, like, chose to dive into his childhood and, like, his traumas and all of his heartfelt emotions and difficulties growing up and put out this concept album of life in small-town heartland Americana, America. Yep. And it is such a complete image. Like, it's incredible to listen to. Um, mm-hmm. I hearken it back to, like, the, the interviews and clips and stuff are very reminiscent to me of 30 by Adele, mm-hmm. which I loved because I love when you intersperse, you know, spoken word moments that just make a song more powerful. I think she did it incredibly well going through talking about her divorce and, like, being a mother going through divorce and, like, having those different things where you have to kind of put on your smile. and And I think that... The Killers and Brandon Flowers do it extremely well here where it's like you have a moment where it's like, you know, if you don't fit their mold, 
you know, one of the guys is like, yeah, they like tried to like tape my brother to a flagpole because he didn't fit their mold. And then the song, uh, the song, I forget the name of it now. Uh, it's, it's killing me. But there's a song about the opioid epidemic. Um, and there's mm-hmm. also a song about like yeah. a gay teenager growing up yep. in one of these small towns and mm-hmm. contemplating like suicide. And he's like, yeah. he's like, I know for a fact that there were kids that were going through this in my town where mm-hmm. I lived and we had no idea. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's really incredible. Like I love when music is music, but I, I love even more when music is a powerful emotive moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is quite possibly my favorite album we've listened to this season. It's up there. Yeah, I agree. That's that's what I have to say. I, can, okay. I could keep going, but I don't want to. Yeah, fair enough. All right, let's grade the killers. Yeah. Cultural impact, I think, is solid. I mean, they've been selling a lot of records around the world. Um, obviously, this new one hasn't had time to gain much traction. Yeah. But their first few albums were... Uh, seven million worldwide, five million worldwide, three million worldwide, uh, and they've sold a total of about twenty-eight million around the world. Absolutely. So, like, obviously, they've been popular. Uh, they had really, particularly on the first two records, they had their their biggest hits. Um, but I mean, here's what here's what we'll I say. Think it's, it's an above average score to me. It's for sure, definitely an above average score because there's one thing that's important. They've released seven albums with Pressure Machine. It's their seventh consecutive number one album on the UK albums chart. It's True, number nine on the US the Billboard's 200. Mm-hmm. It topped the top rock albums and top folk albums, which are not necessarily yeah, what you think right. of as it's, topping both of mm-hmm. them. And it's certainly not what you think of when you hear The Killers. Right. So, so yeah, just, it's definitely interesting. You know, some really important things. I think that they're going to be the highest score today. Except for Hank Williams. I doubt it because <laughs> Hank Williams got a 9.3. Except for Hank Williams. I was thinking the Killers are more like a six range band <laughs> and Hank fine. Williams is like a if 9.3. If they're not a 10, I quit. The, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, understand. Yeah, I'm comfortable putting them in like the 6.3, 6.4 range. I think that's okay. a good spot for them. I can do that. Uh, now for the breadth of work, we mentioned it was 20. It was seven records. It was 28 million in sales. And I think they also get a quality bump. Yeah, this so is a little a good bit score. above the average. Plus twenty eight million records, plus good stuff. Again, I would probably be a little bit higher than we were on cultural impact. And I'm very comfortable here. I'm thinking I was thinking like low sevens. Really? Because here's the thing. I thought I mean you you okay. didn't love as much the second album. You said there was Sure, no but I still album. thought it was good. I didn't have a song that I didn't like. I didn't have and a song I, I didn't thought like either. At their worst, I liked it. At their best, I couldn't stop listening to it. Sure. And wanted to go I, back and listen to it again. My only thing would just be that it's you know it's not barely more than the average, and we're at twenty eight million in worldwide sales. Whereas a lot of times when bands start breaking into the seven or eight, we're talking about really like big groups that are selling fifty, sixty million, or that yeah. have like twenty records. That also so that to also me that's them so I was higher. more along the lines of like six, seven, six, eight. Well, then I guess we'll give them a six, nine. Done. Um, instrumental talent, I think. I think they're very clever players. Yeah. I think they have their moments, but I think they're clever players more than like show-offy players. You're not going to get like the sure. crazy guitar solo in a killer song or no. like Brandon Flowers going nuts on a synth or anything. I just think that they, they do interesting stuff and they do it really well. Um, so it's probably an above average score. It's the best score of the of the week, I think. But yeah, it's not it's definitely like above outrageous average either because... For sure. 
I yeah. think that I did mention Brandon Flowers. His good voice, his unique qualities in his voice. Uh, and you mentioned some killer bass, the bass line in the opening track. Oh, yeah. Um, we also mm-hmm. probably should mention the very, oh, like, I don't want to say needlessly complicated because it definitely sounds better in the song. But the mm-hmm. drum part in Mr. Brightside, yeah, which we had done Mr. Brightside as a, as a band sure. for years, and it was just kind of played in four. And then I remember the first time we had George, who came in and did it, and he's like, oh, you do Mr. Brightside? Okay. And just was like, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, George. Yeah. And the then I went hat. back and listened it's, to the song again. It's a workout again. on that record. Yeah. And he's like, I listened to the song and he was playing it absolutely correctly. Mm-hmm. But we'd done it as a band so long, like that was the version in my head then. Sure. I hadn't gone back and listened to the Killers version right. since I learned the song. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'd be willing to put them at like a five, six. Perfect. That's a great score for them there. Songwriting talent, I think, is better than that. Um, I agree. I think I think they, they get were definitely stronger genre as we go blending, from here. And then they evolved quite a bit yeah. um, by the last record. I don't know how much evolution was going on in between because I don't think there was much evolution in terms of their songwriting styles in the first two records, but they were. it was night and day with the third. It really was. Uh, in uh, a good way. I mean, I would be willing to keep this number probably in the sixes. Yeah, I mean, here's what I'll say. If you go back into Imploding the Mirage, which I don't... Mm-hmm. Did you even listen to any of it, Nick, or did you not? You didn't I did not. Time? Okay. So it already started to get a little bit Heartland, a little okay. bit like a little bit more like synth poppy in a good way, though. Okay. So there was definite evolution as we went. All right. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. Hey, I'd give him a six and a half. I How's love that? it. And, and I'm Poetic arguing... Talent? I'm going to argue higher here. And I would agree with you. Because... I think I, it's the higher, the highest score for them, for sure. There is a very distinct depth of lyric as you go. And, and I find that so ironic because, Nick, you have heard me bitch and moan about doing Mr. Brightside as a band. Yep. And the reason I do it, the reason I say it is it's because- it's the same thing twice. Yes. It's literally, like, if you listen to Mr. Brightside, he, he sings an entire, you know, two-minute song and then sings the exact same song again. Mm-hmm. So we do that song basically at every gig. So Often. I've sang that song twice as many times as I've sung any other song in my life, basically. Yeah, That's right. what it feels like to me. So I get so burnt out of it. But all the other songs, like even on, on that first album, even the B side of that first album. Sure. And then you get there, into the There are some album. silly moments, but there are yeah. some really good ones, too. Well, yeah. I mean, and I, I would argue the last. silly, but. The, yeah, exactly. But I would argue their last record is, is a straight nines oh. throughout lyrically. It's incredible. Like, not even close. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, th- like, this is, this is a group that I think has been consistently strong from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And yet still has managed to grow, which is yeah, very hard to do. It's very hard to start high and continue yep. to go up. So where's your number? I'd be in the high eights here. Interesting. Okay. Like when I say high eights, I don't mean like an eight, 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 nine, but yeah. above an eight, five. Okay. Because I feel like even their stuff that's silly isn't cheesy, it's, corny, can't be silly. You're right. It's, you're right. It's fun, silly. Sure. Um. I was thinking closer along the lines of like eight and a half ish, uh, sure. near my top end. But I, I'd be willing to go to the eight eight five if you're comfortable there. Eight five was my floor and your ceiling, so let's make it. That's what it is. Okay, cool. Um, X Factor. I think what you mentioned about Mr. Brightside. I, that's what counts. I think. That's exactly what I think. They're. they're I think X that counts as something. Now I will say. I don't know if we would talk about this now specifically or if we would have to wait to see if 
Brandon Flowers does stuff um, on his own, but he is uh, very involved with a lot of philanthropy stuff. That is true. But you know what? He does have a couple of solo records, so I don't know if we want to push that to those when we talk about that. Yeah, that's what we'll do. Um, okay, The band enough. in and of itself, I think, is uh, what is interesting about them is for the most part, since 2002, it's been the same guys. Mm-hmm. Like, I think they had... Which is great. I think they had a little bit of turnover at a couple... Like, for the most part, like, that's super rare. Not that I would necessarily want to give them points for it. It's just interesting yeah, it's just to worth me. mentioning. Look, I'd be willing to give them a whole half point of X Factor for the five years plus on the charts sure, for Mr. Brightside. Sure, and I Brightside, completely that's agree. Unprecedented. I think that is such a cool record. Yeah, and I have scores for us, Patrick. I'm ready. And uh, coming in third place this week. You loser. I feel bad saying it. It's, it's the Traveling Wilburys, and there are two albums. Well, maybe if sad. they didn't let me sing so much. I would have done. Yeah. We would have done a little better. I can't do it without. That's true. Singing. You're right. I can't uh, just 15, speak. Like I know. Fifteen point six, which for a group that only put out two, two records, I think is really good because yeah. they were really good. Now our top score was separated by one point two points. Oh man, I'm happy either way. I agree. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Uh, and eking things out this week was the legend himself, Hank Williams, okay. with a 35 and a half. But with a really great showing were the Killers with a 34.3. Yeah, and I mean, here's what it boils down to. Like, I really loved Hank Williams. I'm super happy he won. He deserved the sure, win. I, yeah, happy about this whole week generally. Yeah, very happy that Hank Williams won. The album of this week that got added to my list and then I'm going to listen to it Pressure again Machine. is Pressure Machine. Pressure Machine, like, hands down. Oh, I I want to still put that on best of the rest. <laughs> uh, yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's really great. It was really good. I agree. All right, we'll come back Ooh. next week, uh, and we will be talking about Lenny Kravitz. Sure. And we'll see how that goes. Are we going to talk about that time he split his pants and flopped his junk out? We may talk about that. We <laughs> might even talk about it on this episode. Well, we just did now. As you've just mentioned it, so... <laughs> Well, when you when you say Lenny Kravitz, uh, here's what I know about him right now. So this will sure. give you a good glimpse into where I'm at. I know he's a musical artist. Correct. I know the pants story, and okay. I know he played Cinna in the lo- in the in the in the Hunger Games movies. Okay. Well, I don't know anything about that. You don't know his giant song. I'm sure I know it. Fly away. I want to get away. Oh, yeah, I know it. I want to fly. And then yeah. he also released a huge cover of American Woman by the Guess Who. That, those I, were his like, So I do hits. know both of those things now that you said them. Okay. But Fair I enough. was, without doing also, any he research has, or he has a daughter who is now a famous I know Zoe Kravitz. I know Zoe Kravitz yeah. more than Lenny Kravitz. Fascinating. Yeah, well, she played Catwoman right. in The Batman, which I have not yet seen. But Same. maybe will by the time we do this episode. Who knows? Very, very good. Okay, bye. Uh, no, we don't say goodbye. I have to do my outro. But uh, thank you so much for sticking around, guys. Can't wait to hear you all, or you'll hear us all, back next week as we continue to do this. Uh, thank you for liking, sharing, subscribing, commenting, rating. And everybody have a great day. <laughs>